Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to all of you and Merry Christmas to those of you joining us from Calvary, Quakertown, and Merry Christmas to all of you joining us online. If this is the first time you're joining us, we're glad that you're here and we certainly hope it's not the last time. Well, as Jeremiah said, and as you just have seen in the video, this year has not been like other years, but yet sometimes God speaks the loudest and the church can speak the loudest in times of difficulty and confusion, in times where we're not quite sure how all the pieces fit together. Well, since it is Christmas, we probably should read a little bit of the Christmas story. So you can sit back, or if you have your Bibles and you want to read along, you can. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 1, and let's see uh, what Matthew has to say about the Christmas story. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you feel the scandal in that story? I know it's Christmas, and we often think of the warm fuzzies that the season brings, but did you feel the scandal in the story? Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Joseph discovers, Mary discovers too, that she's pregnant, and Joseph's not the dad. That's a problem. And so when Joseph finds out that Mary is with child, he decides he doesn't want to be with her, and he's ready to separate the deal. God shows up and says, no, no, no. Out of this crisis will come Christmas. Out of this confusion, there will come deliverance. Can you imagine what the two of them must have been feeling? Embarrassment, maybe they were ashamed. I'm sure they were angry. They were discouraged. They were confused. Have you felt a little bit like that this year? You feel that way now? Confused? Angry? Discouraged? Well, that's what Christmas is about. Out of the crisis comes Christmas. Out of the confusion comes deliverance. Christmas is a paradox. You know, paradox means that it's an apparent contradiction. So, for example, Christmas has always been a paradox. If I were to ask you, uh, before this year maybe, if I were to ask you, what's the happiest, most wonderful time of the year? When are people the most generous and joyful? When do they watch those crazy movies like Elf and Christmas Vacation uh, over and over and over again? When are people the happiest? When they wear ugly sweaters, and some people don't even know they're wearing ugly sweaters. When do they wear the, well, the most wonderful time of the year is Christmas time, right? But here's the paradox. What's the most stressful, the most difficult, the hardest time of the year? When do the pain seem to hurt worse? When do things seem to go south and relational difficulties in the family and out seem more unsolvable? It's at Christmas. 
the most wonderful time of the year and the most terrible time of the year kind of wrapped up together. There's crisis and there's Christmas and they're mixed up. It's a paradox. Well, what I want to do today is to mention two other pieces to the paradox, but we're going to look at two specific things. You should have seen them in the opening video. I'm going to read the next few verses in Matthew's gospel, and let's see if we can allow the paradoxes to move us to the purpose of Christmas. So here we go from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, right. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star led them and it arose and stopped right over the place the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned home another way. Now, I want to mention two paradoxes in the bigger paradox of Christmas that'll point us to the purpose. The first paradox is light, light. Have you ever noticed that the world lights up like at Christmas like no other time of the year? Windows light up, trees light up, lawns light up, windows light up. Everything seems to light up. I had a weird experience a couple years ago. We always go to buy, we have a real Christmas tree the way God intended. So we go to buy our Christmas tree. We always go the first weekend in December the way you're supposed to. So we go, and I noticed this year, kind of the pickings of trees are pretty slim. So I say to Steve, the tree guy, I said, what's up with the trees? Where are all the trees? You won't believe it. He said, people have been buying trees earlier and earlier. The day we unloaded the trucks with the first shipment of Christmas trees, there was a line of people to buy Christmas trees. Life is so discouraging. Everybody's so depressed. They wanted the trees up and the lights on to bring a little joy into their lives. So we got some straggly little tree, and, and we put lights on it. At no other time of the year do things kind of light up. You notice, though, that the Bible has a lot to say about light. You may, not, you may not have noticed this, but you check it out. The first thing that God creates in Genesis 1 is light. Let there be light. Genesis 1, it's the first thing. And if you turn all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, you'll discover that light kind of ends the story when God says, now we don't need all these other lights because I will be your light. There'll be no darkness forever and ever. So there's light in the beginning, there's light at the end. And in the middle, we have Christmas where Jesus comes and announces to the world that he is the light of the world. Interesting. Why is light such a big deal? Well, Light's wonderful, isn't it? Life's light is great. Um, you turn the light on and there's hope. You can make it, to the, make it through the doorway without tripping. 
Light, we use light to speak of intelligence. Light speaks of hope. Um, Since I'm a loving, caring husband, when I get up in the morning, I don't flip the light on to try to find my way to the bathroom. I pick up my phone and I hit the little button and a little blue screen comes on and I kind of make my way to the hallway. Um, Light allows us to see. Light's wonderful. Light's attractive. All right. How many of you went to Lights Along the Lane? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm sure most of you did. I mean, we were overwhelmed by the response. We were, the response was unpredictable. And lots of, a number of people I spoke to as they were coming in, I, I would say, oh, where'd you hear about it? Oh, I heard about it on the website. I got it through social media. Friends of mine emailed. Somebody sent me a text. And a couple of people said, I don't know what was going on. I saw all the cars coming in. I wanted to see what the thing was. I just came in to see what all the lights were. Lights are attractive. Yeah, but then there's a downside. Light's also offensive, isn't it? I think it was a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last weekend, (laughs) Jeremiah said, you can't hide in the light. Don't you hate that? Um, Would you like to buy a used car from a used car salesman in the total dark? Would you like to get your hair cut in pitch blackness? Um, would, Would you like to look into the mirror before you go to work, before you come to church, and not turn any lights on? No. See, here's the downside. Light allows us to see the problems and see the flaws and see the failures way better than if you're in the dark. And I think that's a little bit what the Bible means and what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. When you turn the lights on, we recognize that we need help. We have flaws. We are failures. We have problems. But the help is beyond our ability to solve the problem. But Christmas, the light means that there's hope. The light points us to the solution. So light means help and light means hope. And you put them together and there's the paradox of light. Light's wonderful and light's terrible. Light's attractive and light's offensive. And Christmas brings them both together in that paradox. We can see the light, see the problems and flaws, but light points the way to the solution, the one whom the wise men came to see. But that really brings us to the second thing I want to talk about. One's light, and the other is king. All right, now let me ask you a couple quiz questions. Just make sure you're all staying awake. How many wise men were there? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I know most people say three. You know why we say three? Because the song says three. But I read all that we know about the wise men from Matthew chapter. It doesn't tell us how many there were. Um, We think there were three. Lots of people think there were three. Probably the guys that wrote that song thought there were three because there are three gifts. It doesn't say there were three wise men, three gifts. But those gifts were really, really expensive. So, for example, suppose um, I find under my tree a Rolex watch, a two-carat pinky ring, and a floor-length mink coat. Or not tomorrow, if you, I'll be styling, right? Wait, do you see me next Sunday when I come in here, right? With a Rolex, a pinky ring, and a floor-length mink coat. Now, how many of you would think I got those three gifts from three people? Uh, you must not know my friends and family. I'm, I'm not getting any gifts like, there may have been 20 magi that all pitch in and buy the three gifts. There had to be at least two because there was more than one, but there may have been 50. We don't know how many there were. Uh, there probably weren't three, but the three gifts kind of say there should have been three So there probably weren't three, and they weren't kings. Why do we think there were kings? It's the gifts again. Those gifts are really expensive, right? 
I mean, you don't go to you know, Walmart and buy gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You got to go to a little boutique shop where the prices, they don't even put the prices out and you negotiate what it is. Um, really expensive gifts. But if they were kings, they would have sent an entourage or they would have sent, a, they were wealthy guys, but they weren't kings and there probably weren't three of them, which then leads us, leads me to a second question. Who's your favorite Christmas person? Who's, who's, your, who's your favorite person in the Christmas story? Um, most of the little boys, you know, when they grow up to be big, but they want to be shepherds, right? Get to carry a big stick, lay out under the stars, look up into the sky, hang out with sheep and stuff. Other people say, well, the little girl, they want to be Mary. So sweet and humble and gentle. Um, maybe you want to be Joseph because you don't say much. And interestingly, the Bible, Joseph never says anything in the Bible. He does a lot of good stuff. He doesn't say anything. Or, but nobody wants to be Herod. Nobody. I know my favorite character, in the, I like Herod. It's kind of like, hey, he's worse than the innkeeper. I want to be the innkeeper. No, no, no. I want to be, nobody wants to be Herod. We don't know how many wise men they were. We know that there weren't three kings. But there are two kings in the Christmas story. You know that? They're not the three guys that come from the east. There are two kings in the Christmas story. The first king is Herod, and he's pretty much a jerk. He tries to snooker the magi into letting him in on where Jesus is so he would go and take him out because he doesn't want to arrive. That's what it means when he says he's disturbed. Yeah, he's angry. Why is he angry? Because at that time, Herod was king of the Jews, and the wise men come asking where the king of the Jews is, and they're not looking for Herod. But that brings up another paradox, doesn't it? Everybody wants Jesus to be king. Isn't that right? I mean, if you're going to take, I would tell you this. Read through like the Sermon on the Mount. Read through things that Jesus teaches. My guess is you really want your neighbors to follow what Jesus says. You want your neighbors to lend you stuff and be kind to you and not be angry. You want your neighbors to live like Jesus tells them to live. Well, how are you doing with you living the way Jesus wants you to live? You see, Jesus is the king we all want, and Jesus is the king we don't want. Do you like being told what to do? Do you like somebody, you know, giving you orders that you just kind of get in line? How do you respond when you read the uh, latest um, guidelines from the CDC or from this state? You're excited. I can't believe I'm getting new guidelines from this state, new guidelines from the CDC. I'm ready to obey these things. My first response is, who do you think you are telling me? I'll do what I want to do, right? Um, well, sad to say, when it comes to the Bible, we often have the same response. We come to the Bible and say, God, who do you think you are? Jesus, who do you think you are telling me what I should do with my money, how I should treat other people, that I should be forgiving and let people sin against me? Who do you think you are? You see, Jesus is the king we all want, the king we all need. Jesus is also the king we don't want. Do you see in the two paradoxes of Matthew chapter 2, we're pointed to the purpose of Christmas? Jesus, the light of the world, he lights up. And when he lights up, we see beauty and glory. We see his majesty. We see that he's king. We see that he's savior. But we also see our flaws, and we see our problems, and we see our failures. But the light 
gives us hope. The light that points out the problems and the flaws is the solution and the cleansing for the problems. And the king that we all want because we know this world is not the way it's supposed to be is the king who becomes a savior. And if we get in step with how he designed things to be, we'll live for his glory, for our good, and for the good of other people. You know, 2020 is a year we're never going to forget. I don't care how long we live. 50 years from now, people are going, boy, remember 2020? Remember Christmas then? I mean, the pandemic began in the spring, and by Christmas, we still couldn't be together normally. We have to wear a mask. We have to be socially distant. We can't go out to eat. We can't go to work out. Uh, 2020 is a year we'll never forget. Oh, but hope's on the horizon, right? The vaccine is being produced, and it's being distributed. And look, uh, my prayer is that the vaccine works in reality the way it's worked in the trials, and that lots of people get the vaccine and we can stop the virus both here and around the world. That's my prayer. But you know what Christmas points out? The light and the king stuff? There's another virus. And we don't have to worry about the curve going up or going down or flattening. This curve is at 100%. Everybody has this virus. The Bible says that that virus is called sin. And the vaccine doesn't come in a syringe and it doesn't come in a pill. The vaccine comes in the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, the light of the world and the king of kings. And if you would admit what the light shows us, that we have failures and flaws, and if we would put our hope in him and we get in line with fulfilling what he calls us to do and get in step with his plan and follow him, that's how the virus ends. That's how the solution, the antidote is taken. You need to experience that cure. And we need to extend that cure. I want to end with a, a little bit of a recommendation. It may seem strange at first. Just give me a minute to explain. I don't mean this to sound sexist. If you've raised kids, you know what I'm saying is true. Little boys and girls are very different. And there's no place you will see how the difference than when you're going to say grace at the dinner table. You ever do this? Now, look, maybe it's just my experience, but here's how little girls say grace. Before they eat, they sit down quietly, they fold their hands. With angelic looks on their faces, they close their eyes as they or someone else prays a cute little prayer. How do little boys pray, Grace? Well, little boys are grabbing food and squirming in their chairs, and they forget to pray, and you tell them to pray, and they're not ready to pray. And if they do finally pray, they pray with their eyes wide open and their mouths full, and they're eating water, praying, oh, Lord, pray, pray, pray. that's how little boys pray. Here's my recommendation for Christmas 2020. Pray like a little boy this year. Pray with your eyes wide open, seeing the flaws and the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Then pray with your eyes wide open to see Jesus, the King of Kings, who comes as the lowly child to save us and to deliver us forever. And pray with your mouth and life full of experiencing the real meaning of Christmas having the King of Kings be your King and having the light of the world 
shine in your heart as you share it with others. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the paradoxes of Christmas. Out of a crisis comes Christmas. The light is wonderful and the light is terrible, and we need to see both sides of that paradox and live them. Jesus is the king we all want somebody else to have, but sometimes he's the king that we don't want to have. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to navigate the paradoxes, Help us to admit the flaws and the failures as the light allows us to see them. Help us to find our hope in Jesus and help us to live lives seeking to follow him. Friend, if you've never done that, I can't think of a better time than at the end of 2020, Christmas 2020, in the midst of the crisis in our world, find Christmas. And if you've done that a hundred times in the past, It'd be a good year to try it again. Allow the light to point you to hope and allow the king to lead you home. We pray in his name. Amen.